With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. afternoon, whatever you want to call this awkward time on Sunday, and hope you're enjoying whatever's left of your weekend. I'm your host, Joe Perello, and welcome into Taking You to School, formerly the only college basketball show on the RF Sports Radio Network. Now we're talking a little NBA, some NBA draft, things of that nature, but obviously the major topic of conversation is going to be the off-season NBA moves going on right now. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by my colleague at SweetSports.com, that's S-U-I-T-E, Sports.com, Mr. Jeremy Conlon. He also contributes to BuzzFeed and has contributed to the ESPN True Hoop Network, but I believe he's back on it running for knickerblogger.net. Uh, Jeremy, first of all, glad to have you with us this week. But second of all, could you maybe talk to us about your uh, your new position and kind of what you're going to be doing? Um, I'm writing for knickerblogger.net, which is the, the next blog on the ESPN True Hoop Network, and um, I'm still working out how involved I'm going to be with what they do, but Mm-hmm. Um, I had uh, a few things up already in the last uh, week or so, so you can check those out. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to be once again a member of the True Who Network. Yeah, well, who wouldn't be? It's obviously a, a pretty cool thing that uh, ESPN does with all the different blogs uh, on the different teams and, and connecting them together, and they get you to contribute every now and then uh, on the ESPN homepage and stuff. So it's a, a really, really cool thing. Uh, we also welcome in our buddy from roundballdaily.com, one of the best hoops blogs on the net. Uh, Mr. Kells Dayton. Kells, I don't know if that was your phone ringing earlier. I know you're a busy guy, but uh, how are you doing today? Uh, no, it wasn't my phone, Joe, but I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I wish it was. I need to get busier. <laughs> don't we all? Don't we all? I uh, I watched a couple of your videos this week. I saw you arguing about A-Rod uh, and about steroids and how we care more about steroids in baseball than we do in football, but uh, neither of those are our sports, but uh, I just wanted to say a uh, nice video. Uh, thanks, man. Yeah, I, I think uh, ba- it's interesting how basketball has no steroids uh, issues going on there. I think, uh, I don't know if anything's be- behind the curtain or anything, that might be for a different show. But Yeah, and I've always been uh, kind of interested in that because, you know, David Stern and other NBA guys have come out and basically said, like, why would we need steroids? Our guys aren't on steroids. They're all, you know, it's better to be lean and athletic and bouncy and things like that. But, I mean, you know. Shaq was dominant for reasons other than being lean and bouncy, so it's obviously not a one-size-fits-all kind of thing with this issue. Uh, but either way, we'll, we'll move on to talk about kind of the one big uh, off-season move that's, that's happened lately. You know, we, we've beaten Dwight Howard to death. We've, done, we've talked about all those moves. But I want to talk about Luis Scola uh, heading to the Indianapolis Pacers uh, from the Phoenix Suns. They sent away to get him Gerald Green, who I don't even know was still in the NBA uh until the, these last playoffs, uh, and Miles Plumley and a very protected first-round pick, which 
obviously isn't as good as a non-lottery protected first-round pick. Uh, Scola, you know, solid player. He's been consistent. He's been durable. Uh, Jeremy, I'll go to you first. You know, uh, a lot has been made. The Pacers, obviously, one game away uh, from the NBA Finals, and they get Danny Ranger back, but also the Bulls get Derrick Rose back, and they've made some moves. Where does this put the Pacers uh, in the hierarchy of the East right now? Um, I, I still think that they're a tier below the Heat. Um, mm-hmm. It seems like it's Miami and everybody else in the East. But, um, you know, based on last year's playoffs, they to be at the top of that group among, you know, Chicago, New York, York. Uh, the rest of those teams. Um, so in, in terms of this move specifically, I'm not sure it's that much of an upgrade on them because, mm-hmm. like, is he really that much than Tyler Hansbrough? Like, I'm not sure that he is. Like, he's... You're right. You don't, you don't think he's that much better than Hansbrough? I mean, he's a better rebounder, and he's, like, more skilled offensively, but he's terrible defensively, whereas Hansbrough yeah. can actually, like, move and cover screens and stuff like that. Um, you know, playing him next to Hibbert or Jan Mahimi will cover up some of his defensive weaknesses, yeah. but he's not that much better than Hansbrough that this is, like, a huge, huge upgrade for them. Um, like. Like he'll eat, he'll eat into the minutes that Jeff Pendergraft played, but those were already going to get eaten up by Danny Granger when they would play him at the four. Um, yeah. But really, going forward, the, the upgrade that they have is that Danny Granger's healthy. It's not that they upgraded yeah. from Hansbro to Scola, which is it's a it's a smart move, but it's not you know it's the difference between between them being a 52 win team and a 54 win team. It's really not a huge upgrade. Um, and I'm not sure it helps them specifically against the Heat. I don't know if that changes the matchups at all. Um, mm-hmm. What's going to be the difference for them is when they can go small with Stevenson, George, and Granger. Like, that's the lineup that they need to play against the Heat to win. Um, and Scola's not going to be involved in that. They're going to play Hibbert or West at the five there. Um, so, like, Scola's a good player, and he'll fit in well, but I'm not sure that this is a – it doesn't really move the needle much for them, I don't think. Okay, fair enough. And Kells, uh, first of all, your opinion on that, but also, you know, Gerald Green. No one's really, no one really cares about seeing him go. But, but how about sending away a first round pick and a guy like Miles Plumley, who we really don't know what he is yet for uh, a guy like Scola? Yeah, I think Miles Plumley basically he's size right now. Like that's all he is at this point in his career. <laughs> and uh, I think I think Scola. I think I'm a little more high on the move than Jeremy is because I think you take a look at him. He's a good shooter. He's a good passer. They could play a little bit of high-low maybe with uh, Roy Hibbert with him maybe mm-hmm. at the top of the key and Hibbert down low. Maybe give the ball to Scola. He can throw it down in there to Hibbert a little bit more. Um, and I think it just presents a little more matchup problems on offense. I agree. He's not a great defender, but I think the fact that he gives them a little more versatility on offense, kind of like maybe the same kind of role that David West does as well, but he gives you another guy who's another good passer. And I think they definitely improve their team by adding him. I think losing Gerald Green doesn't do anything I think it's going to be interesting what happens with Danny Granger and Paul George because I think they're basically like the same player. I don't know how they're going to fit together next year. So maybe might have thought of maybe trading Granger and maybe trying to get something else back that could have helped them a little bit more getting past Miami possibly in the playoffs. So I think they make themselves a little bit better, but I'm not sure if they put themselves over the top with this goal move. Okay, that's fair enough. Uh, I think what I'm kind of hearing from both of you and kind of thoughts on it too are, yeah, you know what? He's a good player. Uh, you know, he's been a double-digit scoring guy. He doesn't miss games, so, you know, you have that. But 
Uh, Jeremy, I want to go back to you. Hypothetical situation, other than adding LeBron James to their team or, or something ridiculous like that, what is the piece that the Pacers need to get to the level of the Heat? I mean, is there a piece, you know, hypothetically that they could add that would be out there? Um, well, before I get to that, my one other observation is that the Suns traded for the worst brother again. Uh, <laughs> they recently traded for uh, Luke Zeller, and they recently yeah. traded for uh, – they, they they have a series of having the worst brother out of a number of players, yeah. and once again they well they had Ben Hans they had both Hans brothers on their team for a while too. Yeah, well they, they yeah so um, so this is just another example of that. But in terms of uh, like I'm not sure that there is a piece out there that they could get. Um, like if you want to take like, like I don't think Rangers that tradable at this point. I don't think he has that much value just because he's not that great to begin with. He's a good player, but he's not a superstar. And yeah. because he's coming off a huge injury and he's an expiring contract, he doesn't have much value in terms of bringing in new talent. Um, so the best-case scenario for Indiana is that Paul George makes this leap and becomes, you know, sort of like a young Kobe-type player where he's a true on both ends. Like, he, he is that yeah. level on defense. He's a superstar on defense. Um, but he gets a little bit out of control when he plays pick and roll offensively. Um, he's better as a spot of shooter. Like if he really develops his off the dribble game and can really create offense consistently to the point where Indiana has a top ten offense as opposed to like the you know, sixteenth or seventeenth best offense. Yeah. Um, that's what they need to potentially upset the heat. It's not gonna be a question of them going out and adding a new piece. It's gonna be all of their young developing players like Stevenson, Hill, and, yeah. and George, like sort of taking a step to the next level. Like if, if they, if all three of those guys get 10 to 15% better in the next year, then they'll probably be, but they'll probably beat the Heat just because the Heat seem to be sort of old and decrepit by the time the playoffs roll around. It's been that way for two yeah. years now. Um, but just the likelihood of that happening seems to be pretty low just because it's, um, it's a, it's a tough hurdle to climb to get to that championship level without a superstar. So they need George mm-hmm. to take that deep. And if he, if he can't do that, then then this is basically they're tapped out. Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of have a, a limited ceiling when you don't have a guy that, that's playing that level on both ends. And, and you talk about the Heat. They're kind of, you know, they're limited because they play a little small. That's when they're at their best. But they have, you know, two true superstars, including the best player on the planet. Meanwhile, the Pacers are are kind of more of a, a complete team, but just don't have that one guy that can really push them over the top. Uh, Kels, I want to go to you kind of in the same vein. You know, he mentioned just, you know, their young guys improving. But with most people, we, or most people seem to think, like, the way to beat the Heat is, oh, man, you know, they don't have great size, so you got to have a big guy in the middle to defend, and you got to have a guy that can score on the inside and give them some problems. You know, the Pacers have all that. So what is it? I won't even ask you to give me a, a player, but what is it that, you know, specifically the Pacers really need to improve on to kind of take that next step? I think they just need more experience, Joe. I think uh, maybe mm-hmm. Paul George getting more experience down the stretch in games, maybe becoming a closer. Because I think what happened to them last year, uh, not with Game 7 notwithstanding, I think, was that yeah. they didn't have a guy at the end of the game who could really close it out. And I think Paul George, he did – Sometimes he was able to make that big shot. He made that big shot. I think it was game one or two or whatever it was that LeBron ended up making the layup at the end that uh, yeah. uh, Hibbert wasn't in there for. 
but they don't have a guy that they can go to in the fourth quarter that just consistently gets them baskets and consistently one-ups them. Like, George is mm-hmm. a really good player, but he's not a great player. And I think that's the difference between them and even when you look at the Spurs. They're kind of similar teams, but you look at the Spurs and they have Tony Parker. They have uh, Tim Duncan, obviously, who are great players and who can make big shots down the stretch. So I think that's really what they need. They need to get better. Everyone needs to improve. And I think if Paul George takes that next step into really superstardom, then I think they've got a chance to win the championship. Uh, aside from that, I think maybe they need to get a guy who can come in and do that for them. Um, I'm not sure who would be out there who would be able to do it, but just a guy at the end of the game who can take those big shots and make them and push them on to the next round. You know, I, I've looked, and no one has signed Robert Orgy this year. So I think he might be available. I think they might be able to get Big Shot Bob, come on in and just make a few clutch playoff shots uh, and not actually do anything in the regular season. That's a, that's a definite possibility. Uh, as for Scola, like, look, you know, he played he, – the guy doesn't miss games. He gets you double-digit scoring when he starts. Uh, not particularly rugged. He's a pretty good rebounder, not a great rebounder. I, I mean, like you guys said, I don't see this pushing the past the heat. I don't even know if it pushes them past a Derrick Rose healthy Bulls, but with they have, again, an intriguing young roster. If those guys develop, uh, Indiana's going to be a, a force for a while now in the East. Uh, moving on, and another guy that has uh, some deep playoff runs in him, Gary Neal. He just got a two-year deal with the Bucks. Uh, you know, he's a point guard. He's a good three-point shooter. The Bucks right now, you know, they lost Monte Ellis to uh, Dallas. They've got Brandon Jennings still kind of hanging in limbo there. Uh, Kels, what do you make of this signing, and what does it mean for them to bring you back Brandon Jennings? Does it mean they're going to bring him back and try to play two point guards again, or are they kind of banking on Gary Neal being their guy? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if I would bank on Gary Neal being my guy. I mean, <laughs> he had a great great run in the finals, but, I mean, yeah. I don't know if he can sustain that over the regular season. I think we've yeah. seen guys before, obviously, that have had – you know, great finals performances. I'm trying to think of a guy right now, but I'm coming up blank right now. But um, but I, I don't think Robert Brandon Orr. Jennings is going to – you could say Robert Horry, I guess. Yeah, that, that would be a great point. Uh, but I think when you look at, like, Brandon Jennings and his impact on what the Bucks are trying to do, it's like I don't think that he's going to be able to take them to the next level either. So it's kind of like they're kind of stuck in the NBA purgatory where they kind yeah. of need to get worse in order to get better. And I think it's kind of, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't pay max money for Brandon Jennings because he's supposed to be a point guard, but he plays like a shooting guard. He doesn't pass the ball enough. Uh, he's not good enough at making decisions. So I think they're in a tough spot right now. And they kind of, for years, they've kind of been in the middle of the road in the NBA, and I think they kind of need to bottom out and kind of start over and, and maybe hopefully get something through the draft that can uh, launch them into contention. Yeah, and if there was ever a year to do that, I think a lot of teams are going to be thinking about tanking this year. It's supposed to be a great draft uh, coming up in 2014. Uh, Jeremy, I want to go to you on, on this issue, and first of all, Brandon Jennings, but also that issue of basketball purgatory. We always talk about it, and it's seemingly a pretty real thing where the worst thing you want to be is the last team in the playoffs. Uh, you know, is that where the – first of all, is that where the Bucks are, or have they just not realized their potential yet? And, and do you think bringing Brandon Jennings back, uh, do you think that's going to happen? Well, I think the most likely scenario is that they just sign Jennings for his qualifying offer. Qualifying offer, yeah. he'll be, or no, he's a he is a restricted free agent right now. Yes. So they'll sign is. him for they'll, they'll sign the qualifying offer, and he'll be unrestricted next season. That's what's mm-hmm. most likely going to happen. Um, I don't think like he basically has no leverage right now. 
and it seems like they don't want him back that badly. Um, so him getting a multi-year deal the way like Jeff Teague did in Atlanta, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, so I think they're going to just roll him over for one more year and then see what happens next summer. Um, yeah. like I, I don't think Gary Neal is going to be their point guard. I think he's going to be their third guard, and they're going to go with Jennings mm-hmm. if they resign him, which seems likely, and then O.J. Mayo is shooting guard. Um, but it, like like you said, they seem to be in that position where they're either the last team in the playoffs or the first team out of it. Um, like Cleveland and Detroit are also going to be in that mix this year. Um, maybe even Toronto if Rudy Gay has a really good season. Um, but like obviously the Celtics are going to drop out. Philly was the ninth seed last year. They're going to drop probably to the bottom of the conference. Yeah. Um, Atlanta might, you know, they'll probably stick in the playoffs around the same spot. Um, but, you know, it, it's going to be Milwaukee, Cleveland, Detroit, Toronto fighting for those last two playoff spots, the seven and eight seeds. And Milwaukee, I, I would have to put Milwaukee on the outside at this point. Um, but the mm-hmm. thing with them is they don't, their ownership has always been in the position that they would rather be competitive and a potential playoff team than bottoming out. And the reason for that is they're always looking for tickets and they don't they don't think it's worth the long term investment to bottom out and be a non profitable team yeah. for two, three years while they suck. They don't think that's worth it because they're really going year to year. There's a every single year there's a a rumor that they might be the next team to move. move yeah. um, so they need to be competitive to sell tickets. Like that's the mandate that their ownership has given them. Um, mm. And for you know a group that wants to keep the team in Milwaukee, I think that's a defensible position. Um, yeah. And they're, my guess is that they're going to try to replicate this Indiana route where they really luck out with a guy in the draft. And it seems like they did that with Larry Sanders. Like he seems to be a real... Mm you know, potential defensive superstar the way, like, Tyson Chandler is. Um, like, he, he's in the upper echelon of, of big men defenders in the league. Uh, so if he can develop an offensive game, um, then they could, um, you know, maybe take a, a step towards being a, a competitive playoff team year in, year out, as opposed to just being playoff fodder for Miami to sweep. Um so, I mean, if, if that's what their, their model is, like they need to start looking for high potential guys in the draft. Uh, and John Henson seems to be um, seems to be a type a, a guy that can fit that model. Um, and then the guys that they, they picked up in the draft this year, they seem to be long-term projects that could blossom into potential stars. Um, so, it, it, you know, that seems to be their model, and they, you know, seem to be sort of on the right track. But for right now, it just seems like they're treading water. But that, that's mm-hmm. really what they want to do. Yeah, I mean, I guess you bring up a good point that I hadn't even really considered that, yeah, in a market like Milwaukee, you can't totally bottom out because there's no one's going to go to the game. You're not going to turn a profit, and you're not already a super profitable team. So it puts, you know, that's, that's another disadvantage of the NBA. The small market teams are at a, you know, a disadvantage for a plethora of reasons, not just that, you know, superstars don't want to sign there necessarily. Uh, you mentioned a couple other teams. You mentioned Cleveland. You mentioned Detroit. That, that'll be fighting for the bottom of the East. But they're both – teams with seemingly young budding stars uh, and, you know, seem like decent destinations for free agents next year. And uh, I think their fan bases are actually kind of, would be kind of excited to see them in the seven or eight spot rather than, you know, I don't think Bucks fans will exactly like 
get exhilarated if their team goes in as the eight seed and gets blasted again. But I think Cleveland fans, obviously, after the whole decision and LeBron leaving, are ready to see their team back in the playoffs, even if it's just a seven or an eight. And I think Detroit fans are, are kind of feeling the same way, and they've got to feel pretty good about that front court uh, that is sort of, of coming of age now, so to speak. Uh, speaking of front court and age, not really coming of age, but let's just talk about age. Uh, the Rockets just signed Marcus Camby to a one-year deal. Uh, Toronto released him. They'll still owe him about $7.5 million. So uh, the majority of his money is going to come from Toronto, who bought him out. But uh, he's going to get about a, a $1.25 million or $1.4 million, something like that, or whatever the veteran minimum is, uh, from the Rockets. And, Kels, I'll, I'll go to you. What does uh, Marcus Camby have left in the tank? And if uh, Omer Isik does leave, uh, will he be a, a, you know, a serviceable backup for Dwight Howard in Houston? Uh, I think Marcus Camby has about as much left in the tank as I do every time I take my mom's car. I uh, never refill it. Uh, so there's no, I don't think there's anything left in the tank with Marcus Canby. Um, I think basically like his role could be like a Jawan Howard in Miami kind of yeah. thing. He just like like basically coaches Dwight Howard from the mm-hmm. bench and basically like in practice maybe pushes him a little bit harder than like uh, he would have been pushed otherwise. But I don't think Marcus Canby has much left. He's kind of like one of those guys with the Knicks when you look at Kenyon Martin last year who signed there, and, like, he doesn't have much left either. So I think it's just one of those signings that hopefully you're looking for off-the-court stuff. You're looking for, like, maturity and uh, those kind of things, leadership uh, with him rather than anything that he's going to bring on the court. Yeah, fair enough, and and that's certainly a defensible (laughs) point. But, uh, again, their backup center wants out, doesn't want to play with Dwight Howard. So he could potentially end up being the guy that gives Howard relief, which – and given Dwight Howard's recent history of injuries, you really don't want to see him play a lot of minutes is, is the point, and hopefully that, that doesn't have to happen. But, Jeremy, what say you about this time? Um, I, you know, I, I think... Jeremy, you there? I think you just faded out on us. I, I think Camby's going to be the emergency big man. I don't. Yeah. I wouldn't expect him to play major minutes. Um, he played in Houston in 2012 and played in played about 500 minutes, which is not a not a totally small sample. I mean, it's small, but it's not mm-hmm. but small. And he actually played really well. Um, mm-hmm. But then, like, last year he was obviously injured for most of the season um, and shot 32% from the floor. So, he, like, he's he's basically washed up at this point. Um, if, if he's playing, you know, six minutes a game in games that don't really matter, like, you could do a lot worse. Um, yeah. But it's it's not it, it, they're not going to be high leverage minutes by any stretch of the imagination. Um, like I, I agree with Kel, he's going to be mostly on the bench working with Howard to improve shot blocking timing, like sort of getting that part of his game back that he lost with the mm-hmm. injury, and sort of helping him get back into that um, to be the defensive player that he was in Orlando. Um, but he really couldn't be last year because of the injury. Like, I think that's going to be the primary focus for Camby. Um, I mean, like you said, Ashik wants to get traded, but Houston's been pretty adamant that they don't want to trade him. They, they're content to pay him $8 million only play, you know, 18 minutes a game. Yeah. Um, but I think at some point during the season, a trade is going to present itself that's going to be really tough for them to say no to. 
like if they can get like a Rock Anderson type player uh, yeah. who he's a good rebounder, but he's also a really good shooter that would fit in perfectly with their system. Um, or you know, if um, if Golden State is looking to move AMC, uh that's that's someone that could fit in with with what Houston does. Like he's a really good handler and passer from the power forward spot. And Howard would obviously cover up a lot of his defensive weaknesses. But it was like if, if one of those types of players is available, I think they would look to move a Sheik. Um, but for now, um, it seems like a Sheik's going to be their backup big man, and then Canby's just going to be, you know, break in case of emergency with the glass coating in front of his face. So I think that's the only way that he gets on the floor. <laughs> Fair enough. And uh, for for his sake and Houston's sake, I, I certainly hope that that is uh, indeed the case. Uh, guys, last thing before we, uh, before we call it a day, we got seven minutes left. Uh, I want to get the final word on the rookies. We've broken down the draft. We've broken down who's going to make the biggest impact. We're talking about the summer league. I'm kind of done talking about rookies after today, so uh, I want to go to Kels first on this uh, because you're our college basketball guru. Uh, first question, who's going to have the best rookie season? And then second, who's going to end up having the best career out of the class of 2013? Man, that's a tough one, Joe. Uh, I think for rookie of the year, I think I'm I'm going to narrow it down right here. I think Vic, Victor Oladipo would be my number one choice because of how well he fit in. Uh, I know summer league doesn't mean a lot, but he really looked good. I think uh, he can definitely contribute to Orlando, and they don't have really that many guys who are going to take the ball out of his hands. So I think his uh, points per game averages and stuff like that could be high enough to get him the rookie of the year award. Um, and then as far as career – Goes. I mean, there's a lot of guys with uh, upside that you look at, maybe like an Alex Len from Maryland or someone like mm-hmm. even if you talk about Nerland Noel, who uh, everyone thought before the draft could be the number one pick. I think upside, like those guys fit in uh, as much as possible for, you know, who's going to have the best career. Also, I think Ben McLemore, uh, if he wasn't, if he didn't get drafted by the Kings, I would say that he maybe would have the best career, but I think they have a chance to really ruin his career uh, with the way that they develop players. So I got to say right now, I think uh, I'm really thinking Victor Oladipo might be the answer to both questions. I think he's going to end up being a really solid player, and in that draft, how bad it was, that might be the best player that comes out of the draft. <laughs> I like how the, the caveat or the, the one thing is, you know, I really like Macklemore, but the Kings draft. <laughs> So, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Jeremy, what about you? Uh, who do you think will end up having the best rookie year and who will end up having the best career? Um, I'm going to say something that's both obvious and unusual. Um, I think the number one pick in the draft is going to have the best year of all the rookies. Like, It seems like people have panned the, the Bennett pick at number one, um, but it, it's mostly been because it was unexpected. Um, yeah. I mean, there were a lot of people out there that said Bennett is the best player in terms of right now for immediate impact, um, yeah. and I'm not sure I disagree with them. Like he, he has a mm-hmm. he has an NBA skill set that he could potentially play the three if he loses some weight and adds some quickness, um, but also he has the bulk and the muscle um, to play the four shooting stroke to play sort of a stretch four role. Um, so fitting him next to Andrew Bynum um, makes a lot of sense. Like, I, I think yeah. he could have a real good impact there. He probably won't start just because they're going to probably go with Bynum and Tristan Thompson. Um, but I think he, if he, you know, he'll probably play 20, 24 minutes per game, and I think he's going to have a really positive impact in those minutes. 
Um, he, I, he probably won't win the Rookie of the Year award because, like Tell said, Oladipo seems to be the guy that's going to be eating up a lot of minutes and touches for the Magic, and that's sort of yeah. what drives the Rookie of the Year, just total scoring and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So Oladipo would be my bet for Rookie of the Year in terms of the award. But in terms of the player that really has the greatest positive impact right away, I would say Bennett because it seems like he's going to be a, a key player for a potential playoff team. Uh, yeah. And then in terms of uh, long-term for for the career, I still think Noel has the highest ceiling. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. pretty confident that he's going to come back from the injury and be uh, an immediate impact player, at least on defense. And, you know, ha- like he has the, the interior skills, just like catching and finishing around the rim, yeah. to, sort, to be like a really dominant pick-and-roll offensive player with the way Tyson Chandler is, the way, um, you know, not to the same Dwight Howard, when he was with Orlando, when he would roll to the rim, he would take the entire defense with him. Um, yeah. I think I think Noel has that type of ability. And the other guy I want to mention is Dennis Schroeder from Atlanta. Um, mm-hmm. he, he really tore it up in summer league. Um, you know, a lot of my friends on the blogosphere were for, for summer league, and they were reading about him all week. Um, he, he seems to be a lockdown defensive player, the way Rajon Rondo is. Um, but his his shooting stroke is is the biggest question. But everybody said that it looked okay uh, in summer league, and he was making jump shots. He's making jump shots and being um, you know a dynamic scorer on offense to go along with these physical tools that he has on defense. Uh, he could be an all star caliber point guard down the road. Uh, so he's someone to keep an eye on as well. Yeah, it's, it's certainly uh, it's been an interesting draft class, Anthony Bennett and. Yeah, I mean, I think if Bynum stays healthy and if he gets enough minutes, yeah, that that's certainly possible. But I think it's hard not to see Victor Oladipo winning the Rookie of the Year award just because he's going to have so many opportunities to fill up that stat sheet uh, on a bad Magic team. He's going to get the touches. He's going to you know he's going to score the points. And you know he's been running the point and looking pretty good, so he's probably going to get the assists. He's a decent three point shooter. Uh, he's highly regarded as a defensive player. So even if he isn't as good as you know, scouts think he's going to be, he'll still kind of get the benefit of the doubt on that, I think, just in terms of getting awards and things like that. Uh, honestly, I think he's going to have the best career, too. I, I got to agree with Kells. I don't think I don't see a potential superstar in this draft, except for maybe Bennett if he becomes the, the second coming of Grandma Ma and can stay healthy and can stay in shape. Uh, I, I think you look at Oladipo and his ability to shoot the three, defend both guard positions, run the point, uh, if he adds a little bit of a mid-range game, can you know do something, maybe a floater, and, and can become a little bit better of a slasher, uh, I think he's the one guy that actually has a chance to become a true force uh, on both ends of the floor. Uh, that's all the time we have for you on this edition of Taking You to School. Uh, for Jeremy Conlon and Kel Dayton, I'm Joe Perello. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, everybody. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.